Conan Doyle's Strangest Case by Tony Mulholland, with Peter Jeffrey as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Francis Jeter as Kathleen Moriarty. Come. Another letter, sir. And what of our man? Well, we're still watching the house, sir. He's clever, though. He's been careful of late. He knows we're onto him. You have the letter? It was sent to Bridgetown Police Station. Mm. Sir, a party whose initials you'll guess will be bringing a new hook home by the train from Walsall on Wednesday night. He will have it in his special long pocket under his coat, and if you or your pals can get his coat pulled aside a bit, you'll get sight of it, as it's an inch and a half longer than the one he threw out of sight when he heard someone sloping after him this morning. How well our man mimics rough English speech. Uh, you have made a mistake not keeping all the plain clothes men at hand. Why, just think, he did it close where two of them were hiding only a few days gone by. But, sir, he has got eagle eyes and he is sharp as a razor and he is as fleet of foot as a fox and as noiseless and he crawls on all fours up to the poor beast. Then he pulls the hook smart across them, and out come their entrails. You want a hundred detectives to run him in because he is so fly. You know it is G.E. What's his motive, sir? I mean, a solicitor. By all accounts, an intelligent man, son of the local vicar. You think I'm wrong? Well, the attacks on the horses, that's that's one thing. But to send these letters, accusing himself of the crime, it's madness. Not madness, Campbell. Sin. The sin of pride. His very cleverness has engendered a terrible vanity in him. It gives him pleasure to think he is superior to the stupid policeman. But I am not stupid. And I will not have my force made to look ridiculous. Mr. George Idalji? Yes. I'm Inspector Campbell, Staffordshire Constabulary. Have you come to arrest me? Uh, yes, sir. I have. <sighs> I have been expecting this. She is coming through. Oh, Tui, my darling, are you there? She is with us. <laughs> she is telling me she is happy. You are not to worry. Oh, I am sorry. She is gone. Perhaps the next time I will be able to hold on to her for longer. Yes. Thank you. It's time, Mr. Adelji. I want to speak to the Governor. I'm afraid he's not available, sir. Why am I being released? You'd have to speak to the Governor about that, sir. <laughs> then I demand to see the Governor. Why don't you write to him, sir? Has the Home Secretary accepted my innocence? If so, why am I denied a pardon? If the authorities think me guilty, why am I to be released? 
No one will talk I to me. I must ask you to leave, sir. We have to prepare the cell for another prisoner. Splendid, my dear. You're in fine voice. Your first Christmas without her. <laughs> you always know what I'm thinking. You're not a very complicated man, Arthur. She thought her illness made her a burden. I hope I never made her feel like that. No man could have shown more devotion towards his wife. You have no reason to reproach yourself. Yet I loved you too, Jean. I loved another woman as my wife lay ill. There was no betrayal, Arthur. We both know that, despite what the gossips say. There's no defence against rumour. What are you going to do about this young man who's written to you? Well, he's asked if he can meet me. Do you think you can help him? Oh, I don't know. He seems to think so. People think I am Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I think you should see him. Well, the poor chap's in a desperate situation. Released after serving half his sentence, no reason given. Strikes me the authorities have realised the man's innocent, but denied him a pardon to cover up for someone's mistake. <sighs> Without his name being properly cleared, he can't practise as a solicitor. Effectively, he's ruined. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me to find there's colour prejudice at the bottom of it. Mm. Idalji. Um, is that an Indian name? Yes, his father was a Parsee from Bombay. Converted to the Church of England. Oh. Now he's a vicar. I can't imagine why anyone would want to take a knife to a horse. What kind of person would do such a thing? Someone with a streak of insanity, no doubt. Right to Mr Idalji. Ask him to come down to London. Yeah. I'll write to him tomorrow. Well, why not write to him now? I'll put it in the post for you in the morning. <laughs> Get me out of the doldrums, eh? Jean, your tactics are transparent. <laughs> I prefer to be transparent. I shouldn't like you to think I was a manipulative woman. You should have married some bright young spark instead of hanging on for me. Oh, I couldn't have done that, Arthur. It would have broken your heart. Mr. Edalji. Sir Arthur, thank uh, you for agreeing to see me. This is Miss Moriarty from The Truth. Miss Moriarty. Miss Arthur. I hope you will not be enemies. Why should we be? Moriarty is Sherlock Holmes' greatest foe, is he not? Oh, <laughs> yes, of course. Ah. Um, the truth. Yours is a radical publication, is it not, Miss Moriarty? If to be radical is to fight for social justice. Yes. Mr. Adelji, have you had any further contact with the Home Office? Nothing. I've been released on licence. The Law Society is sympathetic, but can do nothing. Without a formal pardon, I cannot practice law. Either George is guilty, in which case there was no call for remission, or he is innocent and deserves nothing less than a full pardon. Excuse me. Uh, yes. Do I have the honour of addressing Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? If honour it is. Oh, 
may I just say how much I have enjoyed your books over the years. You're very kind. I travel a good deal, and your Mr. Holmes has helped me pass the time on many tedious journeys. No higher praise, sir. <laughs> yeah. um, you're over on business? Oh, come now. Surely Sherlock Holmes knows all about me already. You tell me. Well, I should say you're from Boston. You're married, though your wife is not with you. You are determined to enjoy yourself in London. And you've just come from France. I am astonished. <laughs> All very elementary, Mr. O'Reilly. You know my name. How do you know my name? As I came in, I noticed several trunks in the lobby of the hotel. I happened to overhear one of the bellboys say to another that Americans always carry too much luggage. Ah. And that, thank heavens, there was only one staying at the moment. The name was prominently displayed on the trunk. Ah. I also heard him say to his companion to watch out when the American tipped because he had ended up with a franc piece. I imagine you'd mistaken it for half a crown. Yes, yes. yes. I'll see to it that I rectify my mistake. <laughs> and the name clearly marks you out as an Irish-American. Boston was a guest, and so many Irish have settled there. But the, um, the programme, which is peeping out from your pocket, advertises one of London's most famous music halls. Ah. That led me to believe you're more interested in an evening of light entertainment than the British Museum. Yes, and I am late. Oh, but... Uh, how did you know my wife was not with me? Well, your wedding ring tells me you're married, yet the lack of hat boxes suggested that the luggage belonged to a man. Ah! <laughs> a further proof is that young lady over there who has been trying to attract your attention for the last five minutes. I take her to be your escort for the evening. I, I, she's a, a Miss Francis um, from Essex. Ah. She has offered to take me around London. I'm sure she will take you everywhere of interest to a visiting American with time on his hands and money to spend. Uh, Mr. Doyle, I mean Sir Doyle. <laughs> it has been a great pleasure, sir. The pleasure was all mine, sir. <laughs> sir Arthur, oh. you really are Sherlock Holmes. Uh. <laughs> now, Mr. Idaldi, I want you to tell me everything about your case from the beginning. Three years ago, I was arrested on a charge of maliciously wounding a horse. Yeah, a number of horses had been attacked and mutilated in the previous months around the village where I live. Yes. That's Great Worley, near Walsall. All kinds of rumours were flying around. Then the police received an anonymous letter. I have obtained a copy. To the Sergeant Police Station, Hensford. There will be many times at Worley in November when he starts on little girls, for he will do 20 wenches like the horses before next March. There followed more letters, in which I was named as the Horse Ripper. For reasons which I have never been able to understand, the Chief Constable became convinced that I was writing these letters, accusing myself. That's the most preposterous element in the whole case. It was only a matter of time before I was arrested. The case came to trial shortly after. Oh, God. So be at court, Mr. Adelji. Like animals, aren't they? They'd tell you to pieces if they could. On February 1st of this year, 
A horse was ripped and killed in the village of Chesley April 16th, a second horse was attacked. May 14th, a third. June 29th, another horse belonging to Brownhill's Colliery was killed and one other maimed. The following day, the police received the first of the anonymous letters. On August 18th, a sixth horse was maimed in the early hours of the morning. Inspector Campbell, on August the 18th, discovering another outrage had been perpetrated, you went to the vicarage at Great Worley. Why? We'd been keeping the vicarage under close watch for some time. Please tell the court why that was. We had reason to suspect that the accused, a resident at the vicarage, was the perpetrator of these crimes. We had received a number of anonymous letters to that effect. But he was not present at the vicarage when you arrived? No, sir. He'd already left for his office in Birmingham. We arrested him there later that day. What did you find when you arrived at the vicarage? After a conversation with the accused's father, uh, the Reverend Shapurji Edalji, we examined a jacket belonging to the accused. We found reddish stains on the right cuff, which had the appearance of dried blood. On both sleeves, there were numerous stains of a whitish colour, which had the appearance of horse saliva. Your Honour, the provenance of these stains has not yet been established in court. Yes. Inspector, let us not get ahead of ourselves. I apologise, my lad. We also examined the accused's coat. It was damp. Uh, for the benefit of the court, could you tell us why that was significant? Well, it had been raining heavily on the previous night when the horse had been attacked. Uh, we also found on the jacket several hairs. Later, these were established to be horse hairs. My lord! Which I understand the doctor will inform the court. Twenty such hairs were found in all on the jacket. We also examined a pair of the accused's boots. These were wet and mud-stained. A pair of trousers were also damp and dirty round the bottom. You took these items of clothing with you when you left? All except the trousers, uh, which we uh, overlooked. But you went back for them? Oh, yes, sir, th that very afternoon. By that time, however, they were useless as evidence. And why was that? They had been thoroughly cleaned. Who by? The accused's mother. In a box by the accused's bed... We found four razors, all more or less stained. One was wet and appeared to have been very recently used. We showed this to the accused's father, who began to rub the wet off with his hands. Oh, quiet in court. Go on, Inspector. We traced footprints from the site where the pony was attacked across several other fields to a footpath near to the vicarage. At different places, we made impressions with the accused's boots by the side of the footprints and found a correspondence. Uh, finally, Inspector, would you tell the court the accused's words on being arrested? He said, I am not surprised. I have been expecting this. Why did you say that? I was under suspicion. The police had been keeping a watch on the vicarage. My name had been mentioned in the anonymous letters. My arrest was hardly a surprise. Inspector Campbell, with regard to the footprints, 
After the discovery of the unfortunate pony, did you seal the area off? Well, it was impossible to do so. So many miners used that way to get to work. So the ground was trampled with the impression of many boots? Yes, sir, but oh, I So could... it was difficult to establish which footprints were left by the perpetrator of this crime? A clear set of prints corresponding in shape and size to those of the accused led away from the scene in the direction of the vicarage. But not directly to the vicarage? Not directly. And did you take plaster casts of these prints? Or did you photograph them? Uh, no, sir. We measured them, however. What with? With sticks. With sticks? I see. It's a common enough practice, sir. Thank you, Inspector Campbell. Doctor, you examined the clothing which Inspector Campbell removed from the vicarage. You say that the whitish stains on the sleeve of the coat were starch, probably from a sauce or milk. Such a stain as might be sustained during a meal, perhaps? It is possible. So we may dismiss those stains. I said it was possible, sir. Impossible to be conclusive. <clears throat> the bloodstains found on the cuffs. What did you discover about those? There were two stains on the right cuff, each about the size of a threepenny bit. They were mammalian blood. What I do not understand about these stains is how a man can slash a horse and avoid covering himself in blood. Instead, we find only two small stains on the sleeve of the jacket. Might not these stains just as easily come from a splash at table, from gravy or a piece of underdone meat? You suggest that Mr. Dalsey is rather a messy eater, sir. <laughs> we come now to the horse hairs. Inspector Campbell claims that when he examined the coat in the presence of the accused father, there were numerous horse hairs. Now, Doctor, you confirmed this when you examined the coat several hours later? That is correct. Of what nature were these hairs? They corresponded to the hair from the hide of the dead pony. A sample of the hide was cut from the pony for forensic purposes. There is a suggestion that George's coat and the hide were placed in the same bag. Mm, we must be careful what we are saying, Miss Moriarty. The British public like to believe in the integrity of its police officers, and so do I. Now, how do you explain the presence of these hairs on your jacket, Mr. Adalgis? You are surely not suggesting that this thin tissue of evidence is to be given credence. Kathleen, Sir Arthur is entitled to take a sceptical position. It is up to us to convince him of the truth. I often go out alone, walking in the lanes around my home. I usually take some tidbits in my pocket to feed the horses in the fields. The hairs often got onto my jacket in the course of doing so. The court was in no mood to listen to alternative explanations. <sighs> there was an atmosphere of ugly racial prejudice throughout the proceedings. The prosecution played on it. Reverend Adalji, there are probably many people who are intrigued to find an Indian gentleman catering to the spiritual needs of a community in the vicinity of Walsall. Could you tell us very briefly how you have come to such a position? I was born in Bombay into the Parsi faith. Uh, you will be aware, I'm sure, of the good relations that exist between the Parsi people and the British in <laughs> India. 
I was fortunate to attend a missionary college in Bombay. There I discovered Christ and took him into my heart. And I have spent some time in that part of the world myself. There is much on the subcontinent that the Englishman finds shocking. For example, it is true, is it not, that the Parsees do not bury their dead, but leave them for the vultures? It is the practice. Your Honour, of what relevance is my learned friend's reminiscences of his Indian experience? I seek only to establish that the accused comes from a culture vastly different from our own. Perhaps that may shed some light on this bizarre case. My son is an Englishman, born and bred. Hmm. You have been in the parish of Great Worley how long? Since 1876. Thirty years. And your relations with your parishioners are good? I've always thought so. I ask only because there may be some who might harbour feelings towards someone like yourself. The Anglican Church is a quintessential part of England. Perhaps you are unaware that the very first to acknowledge the birth of Christ were Parsi kings. The Magi, the three wise men, were Parsi. Well, I'm not qualified to argue theology with you, sir. Clearly, you are proud of your Parsi heritage. Does animal sacrifice play any part in that religion? Your Honour... No, it does not. Now, you share a bedroom at the vicarage with your son. Is that not a strange arrangement, given there are five bedrooms in the house? Uh, we have only one maid, and to minimise her work, I share the room with my son. <laughs> I think many English people would find that rather odd. But perhaps that is another example of the strangeness of foreign cultures. Uh, you are accustomed to locking the door at night. Why is that? I'm a nervous person. It is my habit. Of course, locking a door not only keeps people out, it keeps others in. Your Honour, my learned colleague's examination of this witness is nothing but a series of innuendos. Mr. Disternal, keep to the point. My Lord. Uh, does your son have his own key? No. No. A grown man not trusted with his own house key? It's not a question of trust. Uh, but in any case, he could not have left the house without my knowledge. He likes to go for walks, though, doesn't he? Is that a crime for an Englishman to walk in the countryside? It is if, on the course of his rambles, he attacks and mutilates six horses. <clears throat> now... Inspector Campbell has testified that when he came to the vicarage and asked for George's coat, he noticed on it a number of horse hairs. I saw none on the coat. Inspector Campbell also says he found a number of razors, one of which was wet with traces of blood. You took it in your hands and wiped it clean. No. No? Inspector Campbell says you did. The razor was wet. I rubbed it with my finger to see if there was any fresh blood on it. There was not. Well, there seems to be a discrepancy between your perception and Inspector Campbell's. I am a minister of the church. I do not lie. Let us not forget that you are also the accused's father. Mr. Garin, you are an expert of international reputation on handwriting, 
a branch of science which I understand is known as graphology. And that is correct. You have had an opportunity to compare the letters sent anonymously to the police with examples of the accused's own hand. What conclusions do you draw? The anonymous letters are clearly in a disguised hand. I could make some technical points on the correspondences between the anonymous letters and Mr. Adalji's own hand, which lead me to believe that they were written by the same person. Well, I don't think we need to go into the details. Your conclusion, the conclusion of an expert in the field, is that Mr. Adalji wrote the anonymous letters. It is. Gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution would have you believe that Mr. George Adalji, a professional man, a solicitor, a man with the highest regard for the law, left his home in the middle of the night, managing to avoid waking his father, with whom he shares a room, for the purpose of mutilating a horse in a field more than a mile away. During this endeavour, he somehow manages to prevent his clothes being drenched in blood. This apparently being one of a series of such crimes, which, although he is not charged with the others, he is supposed to have perpetrated over a number of months. To cap it all, he is further supposed to have written a number of anonymous letters to the police, accusing himself of these outrages. Does this not stretch our imaginations beyond reason? George Edalji, you have been found guilty of the charges laid against you. The fear and damage which you have caused to this community warrants the heaviest punishment. I therefore sentence you to seven years hard labour. The handwriting expert carried great weight with the jury. Oh. They were looking for a reason to convict. All along, the question why George should have attacked those horses was never asked. And the question why I should have accused myself in the anonymous letters was never answered. George was a convenient scapegoat. Half-caste. Different. The reference in one of the anonymous letters to starting on children panicked the local people. George could not have had a fair trial in that atmosphere. Once fear takes a hold of people, there must be a sacrifice. Will you help us, Sir Arthur? The graphologist Gurin is a fool. This is not the first occasion when his faulty evidence has sent an innocent man to prison. Oh! So you have decided that George is innocent? Oh, Miss Moriarty, I never doubted it. <laughs> Every instinct oh. in my body tells me that Mr. Idaldi is an innocent man. You have lost three years of your life and your livelihood. You are the victim of a monstrous injustice, sir. Oh, your faith is reassuring, Sir Arthur. I should like to get up to Great Worley as soon as possible. Well, we could take the train for Birmingham tomorrow morning. Uh, I think I should prefer to work alone, Miss Moriarty. Sir Arthur, I have worked closely with George since his release. Kathleen has been my strongest supporter. Yes, but who knows where such an investigation may lead. My father brought me up to be responsible for my own safety. Nevertheless... Sir Arthur, I cannot ask Kathleen to step aside now. Her publication has underwritten my expenses since my release. Besides, I would feel it to be dishonourable. Hmm. Well, should I encounter any trouble, 
I must ask that Miss Moriarty withdraw from the investigation. I should not have Kathleen placed in any danger, not for the world. Very well. Ah. Then it is settled. Kathleen, you are to play Watson to Sherlock Holmes. Tell me, Miss Moriarty, how do you come to be working as a newspaper reporter? I am almost ashamed to admit that it is through my father's influence. He is an old friend of my editor. Yeah. And your father approves of this line of work? My father is a progressive. He believes in the equality of men and women. So do I, Miss Moriarty. If anything, I think women are the more advanced of the sexes. Then let us compete on equal terms. Why compete at all? Why not accept that men and women excel in their different spheres? That sounds very much like an excuse to keep women out of the way. Uh, out of those areas for which they are unsuited, perhaps? Such as journalism? <laughs> I'm sure that there are many areas of that profession suited to the feminine temperament. My cooking is poisonous and my needlework is abominable. But I have a brain and a desire for justice as strong as any man's. My father taught me that the truth is the pole star of our lives. He sounds like a very good man. Journalism is a sacred profession to me, Sir Arthur. To bring the truth before the world. Is that not a great and honourable aim? I trust you brought some strong footwear. I fancy we'll be tramping over some very muddy ground before long. I'm fortunate to have two sons in whom I take great pride. Horace is my eldest. He's a civil servant, an inspector of taxes. Yes, it's just as well he's not here, sir. Else I should have to have words with him. He doesn't live at home? Uh, not for some time. Hmm. You do not miss your home in India? This is my home, Sir Arthur. This is where I have married and raised my family. Of course. There were many people in Bombay who thought me a traitor when I converted to Christianity. My own family turned against me. But when Christ calls us, we must obey. It must have taken great courage. You're a remarkable man, sir. No, no. I'm a very ordinary man. My dear, uh, Sir Arthur, uh, Miss Moriarty, this is my wife, Charlotte. How do you do? How do you do? Good afternoon. I can't say how grateful I am that you've taken up my son's case, Sir Arthur. I shall do all I can. The seeds of prejudice were laid against my son years before the horses were attacked. Over ten years ago, my family was subjected to a series of poisonous letters. Also, things were left around the house and garden. What kind of things? Pieces of privy. My dear. If Sir Arthur is to help us, he must know the truth. But who would do such a thing? We complained to the police, but they were unhelpful. Eventually, we discovered it was the maid we had at the time. Elizabeth Foster was her name. I found her writing things about us on the walls. We dismissed her. Oh, we do not know for certain that she was responsible for the letters. My wife proves the better Christian, Sir Arthur. Of course, Foster denied writing the letters. But only she could have done so. She was a stupid girl, ignorant of her evil. Worse was the behaviour of the chief constable, who believed George was responsible for these anonymous letters. On what grounds? Is it not obvious? Racial prejudice. Have you retained any of these letters? I, um, have them here. 
someone capable of writing poisonous letters may well graduate in time to far worse crimes. Uh, this is one which was addressed to me personally. Uh, my dear Reverend Shapurji, I have great pleasure in informing you it is my intention to renew my persecution. Hmm. I have already communicated with the authorities of certain lunatic asylums not a hundred miles distant from your cursed home, where I hope to see you forcibly removed. Yes, well, clearly the product of a disturbed mind. And you say you think the maidservant was responsible? If so, could she have had anything to do with the later attacks on the horses? My dear Miss Moriarty, is this an advance for feminist thought that women should prove as capable as men of such evil? She could not have had anything to do with the horse attacks, nor the other letters accusing my son. How can we be sure? Because she was already dead by then. Tuberculosis... There is little point attempting to establish a connection between the events of ten years ago and the horse attacks. Mm, well, it may be vital that we do just that. I should like to see the field where George was supposed to have attacked the horse. By the way, has he always worn spectacles? Since he was a child. Good. Good. I'm not walking too quickly for you, am I? No, not at all. Uh. This is the place where the pony was slashed. Mm. Yeah. You've seen how short-sighted George is, and to, to approach this spot is not at all easy. Consider also that he's supposed to have made his way here in the dead of night. Impossible, quite impossible. Oh, sorry, let me help you. I can manage. Oh. I fear your shoes are ruined, Miss Moriarty. Yes. Ah, now, that's interesting. What? The mud on your shoes. It's yellow-red in colour, due to the mixture of clay and sand in this field. But you remember the road from the station to the vicarage? Mm -hmm. The earth on that road is different. That's the way which George would have taken on the night in question, coming home from work. So the mud stains on his trousers and boots would have been different from the mud in this field? White. The trousers were cleaned before they could be examined. By Mrs. Adalji. Yeah. Obviously, she thought she was helping her son, where in fact she was removing evidence that might have been in his favour. I suppose she simply panicked. Faced with a police investigation of her son, who could blame her mother for failing to keep a cool head? Oh, no. Yes. I think we should find some shelter. Come along. Hello? Hello! Oh, can I help you? Yes. We're both soaked through. We need someone to dry off and, and, and some hot tea. Oh, I can give you a room and have a fire made up. Yes, very well. What? Oh, have your name, sir? What? Why do you need my name? I need to register you. Well, we're not staying, man. We only want to dry off. Not to charge you for the room. Oh, this is ridiculous. No name, no rope. Oh. Doyle. Right. What's name? Arthur Conan. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Right? Oh. Well, I suppose you're Miss Watson, are you? Miss Moriarty, actually. Oh. Professor Moriarty, is it? Oh, to blazes with you. We'll make do with your car. Uh, uh, ladies, it's allowed in the bar, right? Right?
I say, you, we want some tea. We don't do tea. And ladies are allowed. Yeah, Kathleen, sit by the fire. Will you provide this young woman with tea? Well, I told you I was polite as I could that ladies interlaired in the bar. Have you no sense of decency at all, sir? Excuse me, would you be Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Yes, I damn well am. Are you in on this joke at all? Well, haven't you heard? Sir Arthur has taken up the Adalji case. Are you staying long with us, sir? Well, I've not found the local hospitality up to very much, so I think not. You're a young William. Yes, I am he. God, but you've got me talking like an Old Testament prophet. Oh, Sir Arthur, how can I apologise? Well, a pot of tea would go somewhere towards making amends to this young lady. I told him we don't do tea. We don't tea for Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you idiot. Right away, Sir Arthur, miss. Ah, come, sit yourself down by the fire. Oh, thank you. Oh. 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 I'm Wilfred Beaumont. I'm a teacher in Walsall. Oh, pleased to meet you, sir. This is Miss Kathleen Moriarty. I'm assisting, Sir Arthur. Ah, Moriarty plays Watson to Sherlock Holmes. Quite. May I ask how your inquiries are going? Oh, early days, sir. Early days. I wish you every success. It was a terrible verdict. A lot of people round here thought so. Yes, quite. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, sir. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I was in India, sir, with the Staffords. Really? Oh, they sacrifice animals. Who? The Hindus. Nonsense. This Edalji, he's Hindu. He's not, he's a Parsi. Uh, I've been there, young lady. I was born and raised there. Hey, they have strange gods. More than one? That Edalji's not right. The man's a solicitor, for God's sake. Yeah. Excuse my language, miss. Uh, you don't find solicitors going round cutting up animals. Exactly. There's plenty round here could name those more likely to have done it. Oh, yeah, watch it, Wilfred Beaumont. You don't want to be going round stirring up trouble for folk. Edalji's a decent man. An intelligent man doesn't go around accusing himself of crimes in anonymous letters. It's the clever ones you have to watch. What's that? There's nothing very clever about those letters. He thought he would fool the police, make them think someone was setting him up. Oh, what a ridiculous notion. I've a little girl, just eight years old. The horse stripper said he was going to start on the little ones. If he wasn't a doubt, you was it, I want to know. Why are you sticking up for him, Sir Arthur? Because I think George Dowdy is innocent and I wish the authorities to formally acknowledge that fact with a pardon. He was found guilty in a court of law. The law has been known to make mistakes. Not much point in having the law, then, is there? Your name counts for a good deal, Sir Arthur. When you speak, people listen. You flatter me, Chief Constable. But if I can be of some small assistance to Mr Edalji then whatever fame I have is at his disposal. With your name attached, Mr. Dalge's petition can expect far greater publicity. No. All more reason to ensure that the facts are not lost on the public, which is too often given to emotion in these cases. I understand that you are convinced of Mr. Dalge's innocence. I am. In my experience, it is best to approach any investigation with an open mind. Have the police an open mind where George Dalge was concerned? I can assure you, Miss Moriarty, that we did. You are clearly unhappy with the decision to release him. The anonymous letter writer threatened the lives of children. That is a grave crime in my book. All the more reason to find the right man. It is my belief that we did. No, I cannot believe that. A fine young man, a practising solicitor. I cannot believe him capable of such a thing. 
In the real world, things are rarely so clear-cut as Sherlock Holmes finds them. Oh. People behave in strange ways. The most outwardly decent of men turn out to beat their wives, steal from their offices, or mutilate horses. Well, I am a doctor. I am aware of the odd byways of psychopathology. Yet you refuse to countenance the possibility in this case. I am no alienist, sir, but George Dowgy is not insane. I never suggested that he was. He'd have to be to have attacked those horses, and then to write those letters accusing himself of the crime. Or oh, very clever. You see a quiet young solicitor, and you suppose him to be all innocence. Had you any real experience of the criminal world, you would look deeper than appearances. No, but to attack horses and mutilate them. Horses are valuable in rural community. Perhaps it is a form of revenge against his neighbours. Perhaps the answer is to be found in his race. Bosh! I was born in Delhi. I have spent a good deal of my life there. The general ignorance of India leads the Englishman to see exotic mysteries everywhere. Besides, George was born and bred here. That does not make him an Englishman. But it's... It makes him as British as you or I, sir, and entitled to protection under the law. Mr. Foster's been here several years. He lost both legs in South Africa. What with the disease out there, he's lucky to be alive. Mr. Foster, you have visitors. Mr. Foster, I am Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This is Miss Kathleen Moriarty. I work for a newspaper in London. I'll leave you now. Please don't tire him out. Oh. I heard that Sherlock Holmes was up here. <laughs> You're helping Adalji, ain't you? That's right. I was wondering if I might ask you a few questions. What do you want with me? I understand your late sister used to work at the vicarage. Yes, she did. She was accused of writing letters to the family there. That was a lie. And they know it. Who knows it? The Adalgis. They know the truth. But she was caught in the act of writing things about the family on a wall. She was angry. Angry about what? About losing her place, of course. You mean she wrote those things on the wall after she was dismissed? Like I say. She was angry. Losing her place like that got her a bad name. Did she have any idea who wrote those letters? We all know who wrote those letters. Georgia Dalgy. He's not a right sort, that one. You think he attacked those horses? Oh, he did it all right. Hmm. Though he'll tell you different. He's clever, that one. Ah. <laughs> He's got you on his side, eh? You have no love for the Adalgis, do you? Why should I? I expect you were happy to see George go to prison. If I could walk, I would go up to Adalgis' door and spit in his face. That meeting with Foster's depressed me. It's dispiriting to find such ingrained prejudice in one's fellow countrymen. It does not surprise me. I see the man without prejudice as the exception. Oh, the socialist, Miss Moriarty. You hold your fellow human beings in low esteem. I see how the goodness in people is distorted for the sake of the powerful. It's easy for you to take a generous view of things. You're a man, Sir Arthur. The world is designed for you. With a modicum of talent, a man can enjoy the fruits of this earth. I sympathise with George Adalji all the more because I understand what it is to be subject to prejudice.
With Sir Arthur on our side, we must surely win that pardon. Then you shall be able to practice again. I've been assured that a place remains open at your old firm in Birmingham. I have other plans. Other plans? I cannot stay here. It must be difficult for you to be the subject of people's remarks. <sighs> in time, they will forget. Do you think I care about the opinion of these bumpkins? Most of them have never even been as far as Birmingham. They are suspicious of their neighbours from the next village. How much more suspicious they are of me. You must resist bitterness, George. There, there are many good people. Oh, where were they when I was in prison? When I was growing up with the taunts of their brats? A curse on all of them. A curse on this godforsaken place. George. Why did you turn your back on your own people? Why did you put me in this position? Who am I meant to be? George! Oh, let him go. After all that time in prison, we must not make a prison of our home. But Charlotte... We I... must leave him be. Oh. Charlotte, does my son hate me? Sir John? Sir John? Yes? I'm Kathleen Moriarty from The Truth. I wrote to you about the Adalji case. Oh, yes. Did my aid not reply to you? Oh, I received a note to say that you felt you could not assist our campaign. That is correct. You are a local MP, and your name on George Adalji's petition would carry great weight. Miss Moriarty, I'm sorry, but I have good reasons for not supporting your campaign. Can you tell me why not? I feel sure there must be some misunderstanding at the bottom of this. At best, I think the case... ambiguous. And I know the man's character not to be of the saintliness that Sir Arthur suggests. Well, why do you say that? Any man who writes begging letters to... Begging letters? Miss Moriarty, I was one of a number of people in Birmingham who received such letters from Mr. Adalgis several years ago. He tried to maintain that he had incurred debts due to having stood surety for a solicitor friend who had gone bankrupt. I have good reason to believe that this was a lie, and that, in fact, these debts were due to his gambling on horses. A curious... Coincidence, given the circumstances. Oh. I see all this as news to you. It can surely have no bearing on his petition. Not directly. But any man who would be so bold as to lie about his debts would surely lie about other things. Good day to you. I wouldn't have thought you were a follower of cricket. I'm not. It seems a rather pointless activity, but I wanted to bring you the news. The government have just announced an inquiry into George's case. Splendid. That is good news. The chief magistrate, Sir Albert de Rutson, is to sit on the committee. A good man, I understand. You see, Kathleen, when the British public speaks, the government must listen. Any impartial inquiry must see the justice of our cause. If the committee is impartial. Why should we doubt it? Sir Albert de Rutson is cousin to Chief Constable Anson. The material which I have laid before the committee of inquiry will, I feel sure, result in a royal pardon for George. Oh. Not bad news, I hope, Miss Moriarty. No. It's just puzzling. 
We've received a, a letter from your brother. Um, thank you for your letter inviting me to take part in your campaign to win a pardon for my brother George. I am sorry to say that the demands of my work do not allow me to take an active part in the campaign. I have, however, already contributed a sum of money through my father towards my brother's rehabilitation. Unfortunately, I am not in a position to send any more, as my salary is not a large one. No doubt my parents feel that I am not doing enough, but I am long inured to their opinion of me. Please excuse me if this note appears curt. I wish you luck. Yours, Yours Horace Edalji. I told you my brother and I have never got on. I cannot understand his refusal. He does not wish to be associated with an ex-convict. He is a civil servant. He has his career to think of. Uh, Mr. Adelji? Hmm? I wanted to say good luck. Oh. Your case should bring the shabby government down. Oh, thank you. I had not realised there was so much riding on my campaign. A case like mine attracts so many people to whom I am only the means to an end. As if George Adelji could bring down a government. And why should I wish to? I voted for them. There's, uh, there's something I've been wanting to ask you. What is that? Did you write a number of letters several years ago, asking for money? I... I was going through a period of difficulties. Do you gamble? Kathleen, what has this to do with anything? Do you? Occasionally. You never told me. Why should I have? Ah, I see I have disappointed you. I never took you for a saint, George. That's just as well, for I am only a man. At least you didn't attempt to lie to me. Oh, I respect you too much for that. George, hmm? uh, Sir Arthur has invited us to dine with him here in Birmingham next week. <sighs> we shall celebrate the result of the committee's investigations. You are confident. With Sir Arthur on our side, we cannot fail. The Committee of Inquiry looking into the Adalji case has made its report, and I now ask leave to present its findings to the House. George Edalji was tried on the charge of maliciously wounding a horse on the night of August 17th, 1903. We ourselves carefully examined the letters and compared them with the admitted handwriting of Mr Edalji and we are not prepared to dissent from the finding at which we think the jury arrived. On the one hand, we feel that the conviction ought not to have taken place on the circumstantial evidence alone. We are of the opinion that in this very special case, a pardon should be granted to Mr. Dowdy. On the other hand, being unable to disagree with the finding of the jury that Edalji was the writer of the letters, we conclude that he brought his troubles upon himself. Aha! <laughs> More champagne, Sir Arthur. You are too kind to us. Uh, I only wish the celebration was complete. 
George has his pardon. The Law Society has already written to say that he is to be reinstated as a solicitor. Oh, good. We have much to be thankful for. I heard this morning. Well, that is good news. To a bright future, George. Mm, uh, mm. Miss Moriarty, will you take another glass of champagne? No, thank you. I have to thank both of you for restoring my life to me. Well, don't think for one minute this is the end. We'll fight on. I cannot believe that the committee has taken the shameful view it has, and you know why, of course. By saying that George brought the trouble on himself, it avoids the government having to pay compensation. It's a scandal. The main thing is that my son can practice again. Uh, he has been offered his old place back. A firm in London have offered me a position. You never mentioned this. I shall be moving to London as soon as I can. Um, I I'm afraid I'm rather tired. Would you all excuse me? George, can mm. we meet in the morning before I return to London? Yes, of course. Right. I shall say good night, then. Good night. Uh, good night, Sir Arthur, and thank you. I think you should consider this move to London very carefully. I have made up my mind. But London... <sighs> it is not so far. You speak as if it lies at the end of the world. I think I should go to bed myself. I shall see you in the morning, George. Oh, uh, allow me to see you to your room, Kathleen. Thank you. Here I am. Good night, George. Don't let me keep you from your family. Can you understand why I wish to move to London? I want to make a fresh beginning, a new life. I'm sure you will prosper there. At last, I can escape. Escape? Escape from what? Oh, provincial life. <laughs> Would I be able to see you in London? I feel we have become friends. I hope we might remain so. Of course. Oh. Do you like the theatre? I don't have much time for things like that. My work for the socialist... Oh, yes, of course. Well, perhaps I could help her. I, I have been reading those books on socialism which you lent me. Shaw is very good. I, I feel very sympathetic to the ideas and women's suffrage. It is a scandal that we deny half the population the right to partake in elections. George, I you and I have worked closely together. We have become friends, as you say, but... I cannot let you think that our relations can be more than that. I like and admire you. I understand. My colour makes such a thing impossible. Your colour is irrelevant to me. How can you suggest such a thing? You should know me better. <laughs> Since you have learned of my gambling debts, your opinion of me has changed. No, I... Yes. I see it. I'm not the man you thought you knew. And you're asking yourself if I was wrong about George Adalji on one point, perhaps I'm wrong on others. I do know you, Kathleen. You are scrupulous where the truth is concerned. I know you are innocent of the crime for which you were jailed. I still believe that. Your, your gambling is none of my business. I never explained to you why I gambled. I suppose you thought it was merely a weakness. As you said, it was not relevant. I wanted enough money to be able to leave. Oh, you can have no idea what it is to be different. My colour has always marked me out. Or is it something else? Some secret to Englishness that is denied to me. I should not be here at all. If my father had not preferred the white man's God, I... 
he has left me nowhere. Your father is a good man. Surely his marriage to your mother proves that we can overcome racial differences. I do not want to be different, Kathleen. I am an Englishman. This is not the end, George. You must not think we're going to abandon you when the work remains unfinished. Where do we go from here? Well, we have only one course, to find the real culprit. It's the only way to remove any lingering doubts as to your innocence. After all this time, do you think you can find the man who attacked those horses? Hmm. Well, we know that the family received a number of poison pen letters several years before the horse mutilations, when the letters accusing George began. Hmm. Well, it's inconceivable to me that these two sets of letters are unconnected, but there were no letters in the intervening period. Why not? Clearly. Whoever wrote the letters was no longer in the area. How can you be sure? Because the kind of rational hatred required to pen such things as were written to the family would not have lain dormant for ten years. So you believe that the anonymous writer moved away? Mm, must have done, yes, and then returned. But why attack the horses? Oh, well, the motivations of evil are a mystery. No, much more important to our investigations is how such attacks could be carried out at all. A farmer, perhaps... Or a groom used to being with horses? Yeah, something of that kind, yes. And someone who has been absent from the district for a period of time and then returned. We'll clear your name yet, George. She hasn't stopped crying since she came back. Is she hurt? Any bruises? Not that I can see. She's had a shock right in her. She's frightened. I'll get no hands on her. We haven't been near her. The one that did those horses always said he'd do the children. We'll have to keep them inside. Never used to see. If I find him, I'll kill him. Now a child has been attacked, Jean, it's more important than ever that we clear George of all charges. The evil that haunted the area three years ago has returned. Someone is taking advantage of George's release from prison to resume their reign of terror. I hope you managed to get this thing settled before the wedding. I'm sorry you ever took it on now. Oh, it's the most extraordinary case, Jean. A family is subjected to a series of poison pen letters. The chief suspect is the maid, but her brother says she was innocent, and I'm inclined to believe him. I never thought a woman capable of such vile expressions. So... Who did write those letters? And then, several years later, a number of horses are mutilated and another series of anonymous letters are sent to the police accusing George. And the police believe this to be an extraordinary ploy on his part to suggest he's being set up while in fact he's the perpetrator. I do wish you'd sit down, Arthur. A committee of inquiry announces that he is to be pardoned for the crime, for lack of evidence, but refuses him compensation on the grounds that he wrote those letters. When it is blindingly obvious that the person who wrote them was the true criminal with an animus against the Adalji family. Someone who's probably already demonstrated such an animus in the first series of letters. Uh, if I were to write this as a book, you can imagine what the reviewers would say. Unbelievable! Oh, Doyle has lost his touch writing an incredible farrago of illogical events. Arthur, you cannot expect people to behave as if they were characters in a book. But in life, as in a book, there must be a pattern. I'm not so sure. Now, look, when we are puzzled by events, it is simply because we don't see the complete picture. When I write a story, I play at God. I know everything, and the reader knows only what I choose to tell him. I tell him a little bit at a time to keep him interested until the end of the story when all is revealed. Well, life is just the same. If only we can have the relevant information, 
any mystery can be solved. I wish this mystery were solved. You know what's wrong with this case, Jean? Georgie Dalgy is not the central character. We are looking for a man who would attack and mutilate six horses and now a child. What kind of person does that suggest? A man with no consideration for my wedding preparations. A madman. And a madman full of rage to have displayed such violence. Georgie Dalgy doesn't fit the bill. The police made him out to be the central character in a story which was not his, as if Richard II were on trial for the crimes of Richard III. Uh, would it help to clear your mind to deal with this morning's post? Oh, yes. Anything to stop you pacing the floor. When you've dealt with those, you can help me with the invitations list. There are so many people to consider. I wish I was a young bride. Then I could take real pleasure in these preparations. As it is, I feel married to you already. I begin to wonder what the ceremony is for. I agree with these socialists, with their progressive views on marriage. We could simply live together. Well, well. What is it? From Mr Beaumont. I think we may have found our man, Jean. I shall be going up to Walsall tomorrow. I'm going to the grammar school to speak to a Mr Proctor, who used to teach there. I've just had a letter from Beaumont, who... What? Oh, you remember Beaumont. The only civilised man in that godforsaken hotel in the black country. He suggested a strong lead for us to follow. There's no need to shout, Arthur. Miss Moriarty's not deaf. I'll be catching the earlier train to Birmingham. Shall I meet you at the station? Oh. Oh, well... Well, I'll see you in Great Worley later in the week. Yes, goodbye, Kathleen. I don't understand that young woman. She sulks if I appear to leave her out of things, then when I ask her to join me, she tells me she has other plans. Are you so sure about this man you have in your sights? Oh, yes, Jean. I feel it in my bones. I often watch the boys play. There was a time when the first 15 were well-nigh unbeatable. Alas, our results have not been so good of late. The past always seems a happier time. In my case, it was, Arthur. I am informed that you were the subject of a number of anonymous letters when you were a master here. A series of letters were sent to the governors. The letters accused me in the basest terms of malpractices. The charges were, of course, without foundation. But people seem to want to believe the worst of their fellow men. Once an atmosphere of suspicion and innuendo has been created, it is impossible to carry out one's duties. Eventually, it was suggested to me that I leave for the sake of the school. Oh, monstrous. Thirty years of teaching ended. Yes. Do you have any idea who is responsible for these letters? Well, there was a boy, but, you see, I, I have no proof. I shall not ask you to accuse him, but, but can you confirm that the boy you are thinking of is called Sharp, Royden Sharp? How do you know that? Wilfred Beaumont. Ah, yes. <laughs> Wilfred has always been a friend. It is, unfortunately, too late to act in your own case, but with your help we may be able to prevent further injustice. Do you have any of the letters? No. 
They were burnt at my request. I remember one of the governors remarking at the time something to the effect that there is no smoke without fire. Uh-huh. I wish I had found a champion such as yourself, Sir Arthur. You have inaugurated quite a campaign on Mr. Edalge's behalf. There can be few people in the country unaware of his particular injustice. Perhaps the British public are more sentimentally inclined towards foreigners. Your bitterness is understandable, but Mr. Edalge is an Englishman like yourself. I should have thought your own experience would have made you more sympathetic towards his position. To be the victim of an injustice poisons one's better nature. This sharp. You must be careful dealing with him. He is capable of real malevolence. There were rumours about Royden Sharp at the time of the attacks on the horses, but people were only too willing to believe it was George Algy. I always suspected Sharp was behind those letters that got Proctor removed. If there were only more solid citizens like yourself, Mr. Beaumont, able to see beyond their petty prejudices. So, you gave Sharp's name to the police and they failed to investigate. The police round here are as stupid as they are in your books, Sir Arthur. (laughs) Oh, this is the shop. Butcher by name and trade. Excuse me if I don't shake your hand, Sir Arthur. Not at all. Royden Sharp, yeah. His father died in 92. We knew the family, and I offered young Royden a job. He was always a bit of a handful, too much for his poor mother. How long did he work for you? About a year. But he had a hankering to go to sea. Eventually, we found him a berth on a ship out of Liverpool. Oh, when would that be? That's uh, somewhere in 95, I should think. Just at the time the first batch of letters stopped, Sir Arthur. Yes, and he returned home when? Not for a long time. He was on cattle ships most of the time. Long Mm. cruises across to America. So he was used to handling animals. I think he came on Christmas 1902. Shortly before the first horse was maimed. Yes. You think Royden had something to do with that? Do you think him capable of such an act? Well, I wouldn't like to say. I don't want to make any trouble for Royden. Georgie Dalgy went to prison for three years for a crime he didn't commit. He might have done it. The police said he did. The police? Do you know the Adalgis? Not well. I used to worship there, but I left years ago. I worship over Hensford now. The vicar's more to my taste. You mean he's not a coloured man? I'm an Englishman, Sir Arthur. I want an English vicar in my church. Did Royden have any views on the Adalgi family? We didn't discuss them in the shop. Thank you, Mr Butcher. You've been very helpful. Don't you go telling people I said Royden did it, mind. Christmas 1890. Backward and weak. Easter 1891. Dull, homework neglected. Midsummer 1891. Cane for misbehaviour. Christmas 1891. Always complaining or being complained of. Detected cheating. And frequently absent without leave. Easter, 1892, caned daily. Falsified schoolfellows marked, lied deliberately about it. Midsummer, 1892, played truant, forged letters. Hmm. The unedifying school report of Mr Royden Sharp. I do not know this Sharp. 
Why would he have persecuted my family all those years ago? Your colour, sir, makes you an easy target for the bitter and hateful. But the attacks were so personal, Sir Arthur. Sharp is clearly a dullard. His school record demonstrates that. Your son is an intelligent young man of promise. The fact that George is coloured and that he's done well, where Sharp has not, may have inspired in a mind probably already disposed to violence an animus against George and your family. Whatever feelings he had could only have been exacerbated by working beside Mr Butcher, a man who does not fail to disguise his colour prejudice. What do you propose to do with this new information? I shall put it before the Home Office. They cannot ignore it. Sir Arthur has put together a strong circumstantial case against this shop. Yes. Do you garden, Miss Moriarty? No, flowers are a mistress with me. The soil here is not good. It is a struggle to raise anything. I've spoken to your son. He seems set on leaving for London. I hope you will be a friend to him. Not George. It is Horace I have seen. Horace and George do not... They were never close. Horace told me that George wrote the poison pen letters of ten years ago. He should not have done so. That it was George who was responsible for the pranks. My husband still refuses to believe it. So your maid was innocent. I was sorry about Elizabeth Foster, but I preferred that my husband believe that it was her... He would have been destroyed if he'd known the truth. Horace confirmed that George had large debts. I didn't know that. He gambled on horses. He told me he wanted to make enough money to move away. I wish you had not told me that, Miss Moriarty. We do not all share your passion for the truth. I asked Horace if he considered George capable of attacking the horses. No matter what he has done in the past, George could not have done that. You have lost faith in him. When the police came to the vicarage looking for George, you had already washed the mud off his clothes. The same thing I had done every week of his life. You know George's habits of walking out alone late at night. You must have thought it possible. No. Why did you not want us to go on with the campaign? I'm tired of this campaign. My son can work again. That is all I care about. You are no more sure of George than I. I am sure that my son could not have attacked those horses. I believe in him, and he could not have attacked that child. I should like nothing more than to establish George's innocence. I would give anything to overcome this doubt. Have you told Sir Arthur about your visit to Horace? No. Sir Arthur seems convinced that Sharp is the man who attacked the horses. I pray to God he can prove it. Sir Arthur, you've achieved much by taking up this man's case. You've helped rehabilitate him in society. Will anything be gained by pursuing this other man? What's his name? Royden Sharp. Will anything be gained by hounding this Sharp on the basis of really rather thin evidence? Thin? Thin. Certainly. The police in Staffordshire do not consider there to be a case against Sharp. The Staffordshire police have handled this case with, at the most charitable estimation, incompetence. At worst, I hesitate to say. Your reticence is wise, Sir Arthur. What do you mean? 
There's been talk for some time that you may be in line for a peerage. Oh. Services to literature, etc. Yes. I've heard a number of people express, well, how can I put it, surprise that you appear so intent on embarrassing the government over this rather trivial issue. I'm reporting only what I hear, you understand. Is that a threat? Oh, heavens no. Though I shouldn't say it, a, a peerage is a distinct possibility. The threat of withdrawing an invitation to sit in the human waxworks that constitutes the House of Lords is no threat at all, since I've no intention of accepting a peerage. Good God, do you think a man can be bought off with these trifles? I shall continue to embarrass this government until action is taken which clears Mr. Edalgy once and for all. In that case, I should be careful if I were you not to lay yourself open to a charge of libel. Royden Sharp is guilty. In whose eyes? Uh, if I were to go out into the street and bring an ordinary man into this office, he would be appalled at the complacency of the heart of this government. Why are you always so sure of how the ordinary man thinks? To some, that might smack of arrogance. It's the coolness of you bloody bureaucrats that I can't stick. Emotion makes a bad basis for government. What you see is coldness. I would prefer to call impartiality. Oh! <laughs> there comes a point when all crusaders go too far. All this whole thing amounts to is an attempt to cover up for the Staffordshire police. Everything is always a cover-up. Well, isn't it? I'm very glad to have met you at last, Miss Moriarty. Arthur talks about you all the time. I understand that you are to be married. Congratulations. Thank you. You're a very pretty young woman. I'm sure you'll be married yourself before long. No, I don't think so. I'm sure Arthur won't be long. Are you in a hurry? I have to be at Hyde Park this afternoon. An assignation? The Women's Suffrage League are holding a rally. Ah. I have some literature with me. If you would like to read it... Uh, thank you. I I'm not political. I never understand how people can't be. Especially women. I find politics divisive. Uh, Morty, don't you think that society is unequal? What a big question. In all sorts of things, women are second-class citizens. Divorce, for example. I'm just about to be married. I haven't yet considered divorce. I, I wonder if I should go and see where Arthur's got to. Ah. Oh, sorry to keep you, Kathleen. I have some letters to write. Please excuse me, Miss Moriarty. I shall see you later, Arthur. Um, I, I shall be away for one or two days, Jean. I have to catch a train at three. Well, where are you going? Back up to the Midlands. There's something I must do. But we have tickets for the theatre tonight. Oh, I'm so sorry, but I, I have to finish this business to my own satisfaction. What are you going to do? Confront Sharp. I want to see his face as I put these charges to him. If the authorities won't act, I shall. Arthur... You cannot put yourself above the law. I must know, Jean. Oh, I'll, I'll come with you. Don't you have a rally to attend, Miss Moriarty? Hang that. Sir Arthur, you're back with us. What can I do for you? Is there a trap I can hire? Oh, I'm sorry, we don't have no transport here. We shall have to walk. Are you going to Royden Sharps, Earls? Mm -hmm. I see news travels fast in the countryside. There seems to be a small crowd following us. Ah, some of those fellows from the bar. No doubt the landlord has told them of our destination. What can they want? They're uh, obviously friends of Sharp, come to protect their own. Never mind the facts that he's a brutal criminal. 
I don't mind for my own safety, Kathleen, but I think it best I leave you and go alone. I am responsible for my safety, Sir Arthur. I'm going on with you. I have to know the truth. A grim little house. There's a light in the window. At least someone's at home. We've gathered quite a crowd. Yes, cowards. They'd rather see an innocent man jailed than give up one of their own. What are we going to say? We're going to confront him with our evidence. I refuse to be intimidated by the mob. What do you all want? I cannot speak for these people, but I have come to see Royton Sharp. Who are you? I'm Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You may have heard of me. Oh, you're the one who's been spreading rumours about my son. You shouldn't have come here. May we see your son? I've heard the things you've been saying about him. They ain't true. Is your son at home? Who is it? Go back inside. Royden, I've come to see you. I'm Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You're Sherlock Holmes. May we come in? We don't have to let anybody in. Let him in. It's Sherlock Holmes. Thank you. You've been talking to people about me, asking them questions. I don't think that can be right, talking about people like the way you have. You'll know why I've come. You think I did them horses? Did you? Well, if I did? Royden. He don't know what he's saying. You remember Mr Proctor, Royden? At school? Yeah, I remember him. They got rid of him. He was interfering with the boys. Mm -hmm. Did you write to anyone about that, Royden? You didn't like him, did you? I hated him. We all did. You're making him say things. You destroyed him, didn't you? I wish I had. I've seen your school record, Royden. You're good at forging letters, aren't you? (laughs) And you served in a cattle ship. You were used to handling animals. You came home at Christmas 1902, just before the first horse was attacked. You hated the Adalgis, didn't you? You wanted to hurt them. That George Adalgis has been in the papers. Ten years ago, they received a number of letters. Did you write those letters, Royden? You're going to put me in the papers? Did you write those letters? Did you leave those pieces of privy around the vicarage? <laughs> pieces of privy? Did you write those letters? Pieces of shit. We want to know the truth, Royden. <laughs> the truth. Get out of my home. Bloody Sherlock Holmes. My son don't do nothing. A man like you should know better. All his life. People have accused him of this and that because he's simple. Why can't you all leave him alone? Good God! No friends of Sharp. Lynch one. Why did you bring him here? Royden, get upstairs. Lock yourself in your room. Get away from this house. Bring him out. Royden, Be quiet. Shall decide if this boy is guilty. There'll be no lynch law here. The first man to attempt to cross this doorstep will have me to deal with. Get out the way, Sherlock Holmes. I shall not. Well, Sir Arthur. Are you satisfied now? I cannot be held responsible for the actions of the mob. I think you have forgotten that in this country a man is innocent until proven guilty. Oh, but the man practically confessed. The poor simpleton. Look, the evidence against Sharp... Is less than circumstantial. Georgie Dalgie was found guilty on flimsier evidence. It was not enough that Adalgie was granted a pardon. Your vanity was not satisfied... You had to prove that you really were Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Now see the result. You were fortunate that my men were able to protect you. Unfortunately, we cannot protect the Sharps any further. They will have to move from the area. Your campaign has blackened their name. 
Better that you and Miss Moriarty had never come here. Oh, I... Your self-righteousness is offensive, sir. May I remind you why I came here? Because an innocent young man languished in prison for three years. I'm not ashamed to have been of some service to that boy. But rather than admit to a catalogue of error and prejudice, the authorities refuse to do the proper thing. Is it not a thousand times more likely that Sharp is the real criminal? A young man of little educational achievement, a low character? You cannot believe that Adalji is guilty because he is a professional, educated man. So you alight on the feckless, dull-minded Sharp. How much more convenient that would be. How that would suit your own prejudices. And what of Mr Proctor's evidence? A teacher of long standing whose career was ended by Sharp's malicious rumour-mongering. It does not occur to you that a man who has lost his position in society may himself be out for revenge? I knew your case against Sharp was flimsy, but I had it looked into anyway. Aha! Uh-huh. Else you may have accused me of failing in my duties. Believe me, Royden Sharp is innocent. It is my belief that he was responsible for the poison pen letters written to the Adalji family ten years ago. He was not, as Miss Moriarty here can confirm. What? Kathleen? George wrote those letters, did he not? Horace may have been lying. But that is not your impression, is it, Miss Moriarty? Have you spoken to Horace? Kathleen, why didn't you tell me? Captain Anson, this information is new to me. But even if it were true, it would not prove that George had attacked those horses, far less attacked a child. Of that, at least, we can clear Adelgie, since no child was attacked. But it was reported in the papers. A young child comes home crying hysterically. Who can say why? And out of this, a rumour is generated in the neighbourhood that children are being attacked. Your less-than-discreet investigation of Sharp adds fuel to this wildfire, and an innocent man is nearly lynched. You have allowed yourselves to be manipulated by a clever young man. Where you see a victim of injustice, I see a shrewd, calculating character who plays upon the compassion of others. For all his fine manners and English ways, he remains the product of another culture. You're afraid of him. Afraid that a coloured man might outwit the British police. Oh, how insulting you'd find that. Bad enough to have a coloured vicar ministering to the parish, but that his half-caste son should be clever and should take prizes in English law. We have nothing more to say to each other. Hmm. Good day. I've been giving some thought to this business about Horace. I ask myself why he should have said that George was behind the poison pen letters. You still refuse to believe that George wrote those letters to his father? Oh, it's simply not credible. Isn't the obvious answer that Horace is jealous of his brother? It's a classic case of the younger brother envying the success of his elder. A jealousy which is exacerbated by the publicity given to George, which explains why Horace refused to take part in the campaign. I did not have the impression that Horace envied his brother. There is a coldness between them, certainly, but... Exactly. I wish you told me you were going to meet Horace. I feel sure I'd have got the truth from him. But alone, you allowed him to poison your mind with doubt. He appeared genuine. Uh, Judge not according to appearances, Kathleen. It's a good maxim for any journalist who seeks out the truth. I recognise that tone of voice, Arthur. What? It's the one he adopts when delivering lectures, usually to an unwilling audience on one of his pet subjects. <laughs> I have found Sir Arthur's lectures very illuminating over these past few months. Oh, there's George. George, excuse me. George! 
I am I'm surprised that Sir Arthur invited me to your wedding. I rather embarrassed him, I think, during our interview with Captain Anson. Arthur holds you in high regard. He respects your passion for the truth. For all my passion, the truth has evaded me. We never discovered who was responsible for attacking the horses. I cannot even say for certain that George is innocent. But the centre of this story is a whole. As Reverend Shepurgis said, the mystery at the heart of evil. Arthur remains convinced of Sharp's guilt. I wish I were. What if Anson was right? What if George did attack those horses? I couldn't bear it if Anson, with all his prejudices, was right about George. Well, what if he were? What if Mr. Adalji was responsible? That wouldn't justify Captain Anson's views. From all you say, if Mr. Adalji was the Ripper, should we not ask why? What had driven a young man to such acts? The victims of prejudice take their own revenge. As a policeman, Captain Anson may have solved the crime. As a man, he might have gone some way to creating the criminal. Um, come along. Jean, you haven't met Mr. Idalji yet. Oh, Mr. Idalji, I'm so pleased to meet you. <laughs> George has just moved to London and is settling in with his new firm. <laughs> I am honoured to be here. I have found such goodwill towards me, and it is all due to Sir Arthur and Kathleen, of course. I wish you every success in your new life, Mr. Hidalgi. Thank you. Would you excuse us? I have to demonstrate my husband's inability to dance. Oh. <laughs> it is part of the ritual humiliation required of the group. <laughs> of course. <laughs> How are you, Kathleen? I'm well. And you? I'm very well. So you have escaped to London at last? Yes. A new life? Yes. You know, you once offered to introduce me to some of your socialist friends. Oh, uh, yes. I... I don't think it is a philosophy I could support. It requires a belief in the essential goodness of people. And my experience has not borne that out. I've been forced to recognize that my color will always make me a second-class citizen in England. I understand your bitterness. Well, thank you for your help, Kathleen. I am grateful to you, especially as I know you have your doubts about me. My doubts? Oh, come. Even my mother remains unsure. And I know you spoke to Horace. If you did attack those horses... I want you to know that I understand. To grow up surrounded by prejudice... It must have caused you to feel anger and resentment. You think I did it? No. But if you did, I would understand. <laughs> you have my sympathy, Kathleen. Ah, how difficult it is to live with doubt. But the only person who knows the truth is the man who crept up on six horses in the dead of night and took a knife to their bellies. And you, George. You know the truth. Yes. I know the truth.
In Conan Doyle's Strangest Case by Tony Mulholland, Peter Jeffrey was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Francis Jeter, Kathleen Moriarty, and Kim Wall, Georgia Dalgy. Charlotte was Daphne Neville, Jean, Tina Gray, and Shapurji, Kaleem Janjua. Captain Anson was Richard Avery, Inspector Campbell, Terry Pearson, Vachel, Jerry Hinks, and Disternal, Terry Malloy. Other parts were played by Roger Hume, Simon Carter, Sheila Kelly, Alex Jones, and Pat Quayle. Conan Doyle's Strangest Case was directed at Pebble Mill by Rosemary Watts.